Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Welcome back. It is so good um, to see all of you out here in a new year. This is the spring semester, start of a, um, the last part of, of season four of Campus Collective, and I am so thankful um, that you are back with us. Hope you all had a good Christmas break. Um, I know that it was long. You all realize that you were off campus for 60 days. That's a long time to be away um, from this community, but I pray that it was um, good for your souls. Um, like I said, thankful that you're back, but, but as, as we often try to remind you, um, we have a mission to run in. Even in a, another semester that looks like it's shaping up to be uh, maybe pretty shaky, um, I think Jana may have mentioned this, uh, we just have no idea what is going to happen week to week here. Um, obviously, we know uh, that we want to be safe and do the best we can to um, worship the Lord, but also protect us as the uh, pandemic continues um, in our state and city and county. But I um, pray that these weeks, these moments of gathering around the Word, seeing each other, spurring each other on, and singing to Jesus can not only help you love God more, but also continue to keep your eyes fixed on the purpose of which He has called us. Um, Toward that end, we have been journeying through. It's the first time we've done this at Campus Collective. We've taken one book and done the entire academic year. So we, are, um, we did Mark all the way through Christmas break, and we are starting Mark again, as I've already mentioned. And this series has been called The Relentless Life of Jesus Christ. And as we've saw different pictures of this life when Jesus was on earth, we have seen him in relentless pursuit of God's glory. And what that looked like was sacrificially giving his life for people who need God. Remember that? We've seen him heal people. We've seen him go touch the untouchable. We've seen him manifest compassion, love, and mercy. He is God incarnate. He has shown us what God is like. And every single week as we consider these things, we've let it draw us to the cross and resurrection so that we might all over again reorient our lives around the gospel. But you need to understand this. And listen, I, I'm not crazy. I know that there's a chance some of you really enjoyed 60 days of Christmas break, and there are some of you that maybe your faith just took a back seat. <laughs> you had plans and aspirations of reading books and getting in routine and maybe a reinvigorated prayer life, whatever it was for you, but it just, unfortunately, all of the time didn't serve your soul. It actually exposed your soul and showed you priorities, and you found yourself distracted. I just want you to know that by faith, first of all, all of those wasted days to you are forgiven, but they're also not wasted by God. He is still doing something in you. If you are in Christ, He has purpose, mission, and ultimately glory for you as you continue to live your life for His glory alone. And we all need to hear this right now. Even if you had an incredible Christmas break with family, we all know that this break has been hard. Feels like our 
country may be splitting at the core. The pandemic is still around us. I know for me personally, um, you know, it's like a few months ago, it was th- it, we were thinking about the pandemic and it was like, do we even know anyone who has COVID, right? It was like, it just seems like it was way out there. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, we have people in this church family who have lost parents to this. And even as we continue in that, as hard as it may have been, once again, we still have a mission to do. This ministry, we say this all the time, but it is not meant to simply entertain you. It's a tool in the hands of God to ultimately show off the glory of Jesus and see all of you on mission for his namesake. So, how do we get there? Right? Like it's easy right now to be all excited. Okay, yeah, I want to get back to that, to purpose, to mission. How do we get there? How do we shake off the Christmas break sloth? How do we get back into a relentless life? And the answer is both frustrating and incredibly simple. You get your eyes back on the cross. It seems simple because it's just that. Look to Jesus. It's faith all over again, but it's frustrating because we know just how hard that can be sometimes. But that's the aim of preaching. I am not concerned about you leaving here and thinking this was a good Bible speech. It's not my goal. I want to show you the text, tell you what it says, and let you and the Lord deal with your heart so that hopefully we all leave here surrendered all over again to Jesus. The main point of the book of Mark is the main point of your life, ultimately to glorify God above all else. So if you're in Christ tonight, Let the gospel reorient you again. This really can be a year of overwhelming, sustainable joy, even in the hard things. But for those of you who do not know Jesus, in a crowd this size, of course, we'd be foolish to think that all of us are believers. How you respond to the news of Jesus really is life or death for you. So the title of the sermon, if you're a note taker, is Lessons to Learn and a Lord to follow. Lessons to learn and a Lord to follow. And um, I'm going to be honest, we have a lot of Bible to get through tonight to the tune of Mark 9, 33 through Mark 10, 31. <laughs> so we have a lot to get through. So I want to give you kind of an overview at first, and then we will go straight into it. We have five lessons to learn from Jesus' teaching. We have lessons about humility, which is actually uh, two lessons in there about humility. We have lessons about sin and temptation. We have lessons about marriage and divorce, which admittedly seems random in the narrative. And then we have lessons about childlike faith. And then at the end of those lessons, we will end the night with a man, a story of a man encountering Jesus in a way that was really, really hard. And at that point is when I want to turn the spotlight, hopefully, onto your hearts so that you will deal with the implications of the gospel in your own life. All right, that's the map. You guys ready? We're going to need help. So let's pray first, and then we will look at our first lesson. Um, let's pray again. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this ministry. Lord, I'm so thankful you have sustained us once again. Um, we are here gathering to worship you alone. I just pray right now that you would eliminate the distractions in our hearts, that you give us eyes to see, you would give us clear focus of what you are teaching us through this text. Lord, I pray, get us all out of the way so that we might leave here changed people, ready to love, ready to serve, ready to share the gospel, ready to ultimately glorify you with our lives. 
So God, we need your help, your strength, your power to even come close. So Lord, do a work tonight. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, first lesson on humility. This is uh, verses 33 through 37. Should be on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible, but if not, um, look down and read along with me. It says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. First lesson tonight, if you want to write this down, is the gospel frees you to see Jesus as great and pursue greatness his way. That's what I want you to see from these verses. The gospel frees you to see Jesus as great and pursue greatness his way. But before we even go there, I want to remind you of the gospel all over again. We are going to have hard sayings and commands that are meant to shape and convict you. But if you do these things without the gospel, you will leave here completely defeated. When we see hard sayings of Jesus, you must remember that this book ends with the cross and resurrection. Jesus lived these out perfectly for you so that you would be forgiven where you failed and empowered to live in this life of joy. So let the hard lessons here show off the beauty of Jesus, convict you so that you might bring more glory to him. So let's walk through this. Um, and they came to Capernaum. So the disciples are still journeying on with Jesus here. And, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So Jesus asks a question here. And I'll be honest, this is one of the things I love most about the ministry of Jesus. Um, just so you know, Jesus is God. He already knows what they were discussing on the way. Um, he is not asking this question because he, in his divine all-knowingness, thought, man, I missed that. Like, I wonder what these people that I have chosen out of the whole earth are talking about on their way over here. He knows the, question, the answer to this question already. So why is he asking it? When God inquires us about our soul, it is to help us see our sin. Not him see our sin. He knows. Jesus is giving them an opportunity to fess up to the ways they were falling short. Listen, God already knows how messed up you are. Please understand this. When, when the Holy Spirit brings conviction through his word, it is not that he is surprised. He is, doing you a, he is showing you grace and mercy in that moment. And that's what he's doing here for these disciples. This example is of Jesus asking them a question to set them up for a lesson um, and, and I'll be honest too, a quick caveat, I know we mentioned um, community groups and D groups. This is one of the reasons that you need accountability in your life. You need people who will ask you hard questions. Because, quite honestly, we're blind to so much of our own sin and our hardness of heart. So that's what Jesus is doing here. What were you discussing on the way? I think it's fair to assume that Jesus was not very pleased by what they were discussing. Notice in verse 34, but they kept silent. <laughs> Why'd they keep silent? For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. There was conviction produced by this question because they had been talking about who the greatest was. And, and so why would this matter so much, right? Like, Jesus asked this question, they immediately fall silent, and that's, we know why. It literally says in verse 34, they kept silent for they were literally arguing with one another about who was the greatest disciple. 
This matters a lot because Jesus knows what pride can do to a soul. Listen, they should have been in awe of Jesus, not in awe of themselves. And think about what they just saw. You remember 72 days ago, whenever that was, whenever we looked at the transfiguration to end our semester? They have literally seen Jesus lit up in heavenly glory. They have seen his love and compassion on display. And then here they are trying to jockey for position in his kingdom. This is ludicrous to people who know how awesome Jesus is. But I want to make sure we don't just get mad at the disciples and make fun of them without you stopping and considering your own life. Let this question expose you. You see, pride is dangerous and it shows up in all of us. We all know the guy who loves to keep bragging about whatever he did in high school. You know that guy, right? It's like somehow you always, it always comes up that he averaged 11 points a game in JV basketball. You're like, that does not matter. Good, good shot in the trash can, man. I'm glad you played well. Um, or, or, you know, that sometimes, no, nope, that's off script. Okay. Or we all know the girl who uses Instagram maybe to show off her spirituality. It's like you took your 30 minutes before work to show everyone that you have a Bible, right? Here's the thing, though, that is most subtly dangerous about pride. Pride does not have to mean cocky. It just means exalting yourself. And in a culture that loves self-esteem, this is really easy for us to fall into. We can get prideful about us not being prideful, (laughs) This can look like a million different things, and I wish we had time to talk about all of them. But it's easy for us, as even as believers, to assume that the gospel is all about us when it isn't at all. That's what they were doing. They're arguing about who was the greatest. Look how Jesus responds. I love this lesson for us. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he takes a child, which I love how, do we even know how the child got there? Just takes a child, puts him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms, and he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Listen, you need to understand this now in your walk with Christ. If you want to be first, you must be last and a servant of all. This is greatness in the kingdom of God. And it looks nothing like greatness in our culture. Our culture says Um, exalt yourself, show off your accolades, let people know how great you are. Jesus is saying, you want to be great? Serve all. You want to be first? You are last. Jesus is showing something that he continually teaches throughout his ministry, that our Heavenly Father rewards in secret. Do you understand this? Your, Your faith, it is meant to empower you to become a servant of all people. Jesus' own life and death showed this off. Jesus is raised and exalted as king because he died. This is the way of the kingdom and is what he is inviting us into. And then I love this. To put an explanation point on this lesson, he grabs a child and shows them what being last looks like. And in this culture, at the time, a child would have represented someone that society did not care about. So Jesus is saying that true greatness is following His example, using your life in ways that nobody sees and for people that nobody cares about. If you do ministry for an audience of your peers, you will not be doing ministry in a way that is rewarded by our Father. The Gospel frees you to see Jesus as great and pursue greatness His way. Second lesson, Mark 9.38. Let's keep reading. 
John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him. Why? Anyways, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who was not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here's your second point, second lesson. The gospel frees you to not want or to want other followers of Jesus to win because ministry is about him and not us. I'll say it again. The gospel frees you to want other followers of Jesus to win because ministry is about him, not us. And I believe we are supposed to see this and work toward cultivating the inner character it would take to be this kind of person. Please notice that this pride lesson, the disciples were not happy with a demon being cast out. You see that? Like, someone is possessed by an evil spirit, and this is being cast out, and their response is, we tried to stop that, Lord. (laughs) They didn't get it. And Jesus wants to show them that it is not a competition in the kingdom of God. Think about how real this could be for all of us. Are you okay with the person beside you leading people to Christ when your efforts fall short? Or are you okay with another ministry blowing up while yours stays stagnant? Are you able to rejoice when others are growing spiritually or doing mission without getting jealous and wishing you were better than them? Jesus is teaching them and us that the ones who are for Jesus aren't against him and that we should be happy that all people who truly follow Jesus get rewarded. Not just our brand of Christianity and not just our ministry and not just our life. Please think about how this could change our ministry culture here. If we were the kind of people who celebrated anyone who did work in Jesus' name, even if they weren't like us. Paul the Apostle in one of his letters Um, Philippians in chapter 1, he picks up on this idea. I'll read this to you. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So we got some who do it with bad motive, some with good motive. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's the Apostle Paul. And there's people out there doing ministry in a way to inflict him while he's in jail. Look at his response. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What humility it would take to just be happy that the true gospel was going forth, even if it hurt you. This was the lesson the disciples needed to learn. It's a lesson that all of us need to learn as well. I want you to challenge you, spend some time this week examining your own life and see how well you do when others seem to be succeeding spiritually and you aren't. Um, I want to say one thing, though, um, just because maybe if you're wrestling with this right now and you're thinking of what ifs and buts and how do we reconcile this, um, just because someone does something in Jesus' name doesn't mean we just blindly cheer them on. Um, Doctrine and practice matter, meaning you can't storm the Capitol with a Christian flag and expect the church to not condemn you for dishonoring the name of our Lord. That's not how that works. You don't get to say, I'm doing this in Jesus' name, and we're like, well, Jesus says if you give them a cup of water, they're not against us. That's not what we're saying. But we can 
celebrate when a brother or sister who may disagree with us on minor issues has ministry wins. You see what I'm saying? The point is not just get the people who look like us and do ministry our way to be the ones that get all of the credit. The point is ministry is about the Lord, and we can celebrate when people are faithfully following him and doing effective ministry. Third lesson, Mark 9, 42 through 50. Look at your Bibles. This is on sin and temptation. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. If you are new or exploring Christianity, you may have never dreamt that Jesus would say something like that. But this is the lesson for us. You want to write this down. The gospel frees us to do whatever it takes to kill our sin. The gospel frees us to do whatever it takes to kill our sin. Notice first that Jesus takes aim at those of us who would cause others to sin, and then he takes aim at our own personal lives and shows us just how far we should go to repent for our sin. Look at this 42 here. This is a crazy verse. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be literally better for them to have a millstone around your neck and then thrown into the sea. Just so you know, if you have a millstone around your neck and you were thrown into the sea, you were going to the bottom. He's saying, you cause one of these little ones to sin? It'd be better for you to do that. Why? Jesus is a protector of his own. And notice here, little ones doesn't, um, it means disciples, it means the people who follow him, doesn't necessarily mean children, but of course children would be included in that. But I just want you to pause and sit in this imagery in your mind. This is how serious Jesus takes sin. Your life should not make others tempted to sin. How do you conduct yourselves around people? How do you conduct yourselves with your boyfriend or girlfriend? How do you speak? How do you interact with those around you? Then he turns his attention to our own personal walk by telling us to cut off three things. <laughs> if your hand causes you to sin, remove it. It would be better to have one hand and live. Your foot, cut it off. Your eye, tear it out. Obviously, Jesus is using an intense metaphor to show how seriously we should take our sin. Please don't see this as Jesus saying literally to mutilate yourself. But it is worth considering, listen, are you going anywhere that is causing you to sin? Then you should stop going. Are you doing anything that is causing you to sin? Then you should do whatever it takes to stop. Are you looking at anything that is causing you to sin? If that is true, then you do whatever it takes to stop. Listen, some of you need to make really hard decisions right now if you're going to have a life of joy. 
There's some of you who claim Christ on one hand, but there are things in your life that are obviously causing you to sin, but you read passages like this and think that Jesus is just joking. The gospel frees you, frees you to get rid of that because it's not causing you joy anyways. I am begging you to please not let this be just some religious thing you do every week, but you take the time to consider in your own life the things I'm doing, what I'm looking at, where I'm going, are those things moving me toward joy in Christ or are they causing me to sin? If the answer is sin, no more. Jesus says it's better to have one foot, one hand, and one eye on earth than it would be to have all of that go to hell. The point is clear here. People who are in the kingdom of God are people who are willing to kill whatever sin is killing them. And if you are unwilling to kill sin, you are unwilling to be in the kingdom of God. Because of Jesus, but please understand this, you have to have such a delicate balance when we handle hard sayings like this because the truth of the matter is that Jesus himself was cut off in our place. So if you're a Christian, you get to cut and kill these sins from a place of victory and power. But having acceptance in God in spite of our sins will mean that you move toward removing your hand and feet. What are you going to do? What do you need to kill in your life? You don't have to hide anymore. There's only grace and mercy. But it's time to deal. My goodness, can you imagine starting out this year after a crazy year of 2020? You would cut off the things that are killing your soul. And then Jesus continues this lesson with a little bit about fire and salt. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. It's funny because I think like, if you're salty now, that would be sort of like you don't, you're not a... It's like not good to be around, right? Like that person is, I don't know, what's, it's if you, I'm really good at uh, phrases. Um, like if you beat me at something and then I was like slightly upset, a little bit perturbed about it, that would be me being salty, right? Yeah, well that, it's not obviously what he's talking about here. Um, salt is a preservative. And, and that should be what, you all, what we all want. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to persevere. You want to preserve your faith even through trials and this life. We all want to persevere following Jesus right into the next life, just loving Him, trusting Him, obeying Him, and walking right into glory and spending forever with Him. But Jesus does say that in order to get us to that type of faith, that He will put His people through fire. The harsh reality here is that for people who don't know Jesus, that fire is hell, and you are preserved but only to be in eternal separation from God forever. But for people in Christ, we are salted by the fire of trials. My goodness, 2020 was salty. <laughs> but if you could reorient your mind to see your life and your circumstances like Jesus does, you would understand that every single flame, every single heat that you felt from suffering, every ounce of loneliness, every wasted day, all of that meant to preserve your faith. To put you in a situation where you could not understand the Lord's plan, but you could trust his heart. And if you still love and trust Jesus right now, after that year, it's a miracle. And he's the one doing that work in you. 
And then Jesus ends this with just commanding us to be people who have salt in ourselves and then to be at peace. We must kill our sins so that we are able to be the salt and light in our world. And part of the way that he does this to make us those types of people is to salt us with fire. The gospel frees us to do whatever it takes to kill our sin. Fourth lesson, Mark 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, <coughs> excuse me, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to him, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Fourth lesson, here's for your notes. The gospel frees us to honor marriage without idolizing it. The gospel frees us to honor marriage without idolizing it. A few points here that I'm going to turn your attention to a, a resource that we will have launching uh, this semester with Campus Collective. A few things, though, about these passages. We need to understand that culture does not get to dictate what marriage and gender are because they are God's idea. And I wish I had the time and space to address this, but please understand that marriage is not just a tax break and it's not some romantic feeling. It is meant to show off the gospel of Jesus Christ. To redefine it or to idolize it and make it the point of your life or to make sex into the ultimate goal of life is sinful and wrong. Now thankfully, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about marriage, singleness, divorce, and idolatry, all from a biblical worldview on our podcast. Um, so one of the things we want to do at Campus Collective is take um, passages like these that require um, a lot of theology and thinking through, and we're going to um, have additional episodes um, called Collective Content. Um, I wanted to call them uh, Campus Collectibles, um, but that was shot down by the media team, and um, there's going to be collective content. Um, so be on the lookout for this. It's going to be a kind of a round, round table conversation discussing what does the Bible really say about divorce? What does the Bible really say about marriage and things like that so that we can equip you to think biblically about these really important things, okay? So please don't see me as, as skipping this. It's just I'm assuming you guys want to get home before midnight, um, right? A few of you, Okay. Um, but I don't want to spend a ton of time here because I want us to have that discussion um, on the podcast, okay? So please subscribe, find us on there, and um, we'll take time to, to, to work that out, okay? Um, let's move on to the fifth lesson. Mark 10, verse 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Last lesson for us. The gospel frees us to enjoy our Father. Don't you love that Jesus loves kids? He loves children. These disciples were trying to push them away. and It's not too often you get to see the Lord of the universe be indignant about something. 
But what he was indignant about was the fact that these disciples were trying to keep these kids away from him. Not only does he love kids, apparently we have a lot to learn from them about the kingdom of God. You see that in verse 15? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Begs the question, how do we receive the kingdom of God like a child? So I was wrestling with some commentaries in this, and I found some things that are, that are helpful. Here's a few things of, of what a child is like. Children come helpless and hopeful. These little children come to Jesus with the help of others. They couldn't get there on their own. They were helpless. Um, if you don't know, my wife and I just had our second son. He was born December 2nd. Um, his name is Jack, and, and I'll be honest, he's, he's really cute, but that, that boy is completely helpless. Like, if we don't pick him up, he doesn't make it, because <laughs> he's a baby. He can't read. He can't, uh, quite frankly, do anything other than just kind of sit there and eat and poop. That's it. It's completely helpless. But the Lord would have us watch that and say, yes, that's what life in the kingdom is like. You have no shot of a life of joy or effectiveness and mission without the grace of God. Just like Jack when he lays there. He is, he's helpless. And Jesus is saying, yeah, the kingdom of God is like that. Not just helpless, but it's, children are also hopeful. Um, another illustration, our oldest son, his name is Duke, and, and he is a hopeful guy. Um, there is honestly um, a joy that he has about life that is convicting. Um, if you've ever seen him play with bubbles, you would understand. Um, I've never met anyone who loves bubbles more than him. And, and you know, are, are you the type of person who could be entertained by bubbles, or has your life made you boring and stuck, right? Because that's an unbelievable thing. Um, it's just the most simple things just brings this kid so much joy. And we get to come to our father like a little boy or a little girl who needs his help and is full of hope. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is not like being strong, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and doing all this stuff for Jesus. He says the kingdom of God, you receive it like a helpless, hopeful child. Another thing that children are like are trusting and dependent. When Duke is scared or hurt, he comes to me knowing that I will take care of him. He's completely dependent, and that's good because he can trust me. I only want what is good for him, but our heavenly father is like that, but perfect. So next time, maybe you have fond memories of that. Maybe if you had healthy mom and dad in the home, or you've seen that, that is what the kingdom of God is like. That is what you are free to live like spiritually. Children come for affection and blessing. Jesus puts these little kids in his lap. <laughs> Our Father just wants us close. And he's inviting us all over again, if you'll take it, to live out the power and freedom of the kingdom life. Even with all of your adult, real, difficult responsibilities, you can have faith like a child. Can you imagine a soul disposition, the freedom you would have, even in suffering? If you came to God anew every morning with full of hope, completely understanding your dependence upon Him as Father, it would change everything. You would sing louder, you would share the gospel more, and you would love God more. Okay. It's the time of the night. We're about finished with this sermon. Um, the lessons are over, and I want you to see 
and pray with me. If you're a believer in here, pray silently right now that we will all see ourselves in this text, especially those of you in this room who do not know the Lord. There's an encounter here that shows off the beauty of God's grace in, in the way that few passages can. Look at Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's some of you. You think it's doing good, doing enough religious things, getting yourself good enough. Even believers, some of you all think you have to keep performing in order to keep God's love on you. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, look at this. If this is you, especially for those of you that think that Christianity is nailing a bunch of rules, look how Jesus responds to you. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he loves him enough to say hard things to him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus isn't saying that we have to sell everything to follow him. He was exposing this guy's heart. He had an air of morality about him, but Jesus knew those possessions were more important to him than the kingdom of God. Please understand, Jesus wants all of you. You are free by faith to give it all up for him. Maybe it's not your possessions, but what is it for you? And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Y'all ever been there? I mean, I have to think that people who knew Nate well, whenever he was running from the Lord, that was a question we could have asked, right? Nate could have said, I've gone to youth group my whole life, I've kept these commandments, but his heart, he was far from God. Who can be saved? Maybe you've asked that question for yourself. Maybe you wouldn't even feel confident to say you've nailed all these commandments. You're like, I know I'm not religious. I have been running. I have no idea why I'm here. Who can be saved? Seems impossible. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Van, uh, you want to come back on up to get ready and lead us? I just want to leave um, you with this. It is true that it is impossible for people like us to be saved, but our God can actually do anything. Please understand that this is always worth it. These promises of getting everything back now in this life and forevermore is true, and you can have it come like a little child. And even right now, 
Let's sing like children who have no hope apart from God, but rest in the fact that he is a father who loves us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to do whatever it takes to cut off what is keeping us from true, intimate fellowship with you. God, we want that joy. We want to be a ministry that is all about your kingdom alone. So God, even on this first night, would you meet us here? Teach us to sing like free children. And equip us to tell everyone that we know that this relationship with you is possible. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.